Do you recall, he says, the blessed moments when this love, capital L, the love of Christ, the love of God, fell upon the soul? And he's not talking about the moment of conversion here, but just moments that happen in the Christian life. Can't go back and read everything he said. Blessed moments, blessed moments, plural, when this love fell upon the soul as mild dew drops upon the thirsty leaf. You drank it up when this moment came, filling him, the Christian, with a happiness unknown heretofore. This blessed experience was heavenly and supernatural. This blessed experience was heavenly and supernatural. The soul actually felt, the soul actually felt the everlasting arms underneath, the arms of God, the embrace of God, the love of God, felt the everlasting arms underneath and acknowledged that God is good and essentially love. It is true. The divine majesty, as it were, as it were consumed the soul, but at the same time it uplifted and glorified it. The soul realized that it was surrounded by love. He's speaking about his own experience and saying certainly many of the Christians he's talking to, many of you have experienced this as well. The soul realized that it was surrounded by love, uplifted above the low plane of vanity, and more blessed still that it had received, that it had now received power to embrace God with the arms of its own love. In other words, not only did you experience God and his love and his embrace, but you were given the strength now because of God's love to embrace God back and to love God truly from your heart uh, in return. And then he says this, it is true, this does not last. He says, these moments happen to me, these moments happen to Christians. It's true, this does not last. The evening star of hope is followed again and again by the dawn of of the common everyday life where you're not living in that deep, deep, powerful experience every day. But by that experience we have seen, he says, by that experience we have seen the heavens opened, the sign of eternal love descending, and heard the music of its voice saying, behold, your God. That was Abraham Kuyper, folks, a Reformed theologian. A Reformed theologian saying that. And that's the testimony of of, of many Reformed theologians. I've read so many times of, of, uh, of Christians uh, and, their, and, and experiences, I've probably read in my life as I've read biography and history, hundreds of, the, of accounts like this where they talked about these kinds of experiences in the Christian life. Um, but what I, what I believe and what, what, I've, what I've come, to, what I've come to, to recognize is that many people who are Christians this is my thing that I really want to address today. Many people who are Christians, they do know the Bible, they know doctrines, and they do believe them, and they are forgiven of their sins, but they almost entirely lack such experiences. They just don't happen. And I've, and I've had these conversations with sophisticated intellectual theologians types who have said, I don't know this. I don't know this experience of God. And, and, and yet... Um, I know that it's real. I, I, I've experienced it. I've known other people have experienced it. I've known many uh, uh, people to experience it, and I believe it's the testimony of Scripture. What often I hear people saying is, or what, I, what I'll hear people say, say is, when I read the Scriptures and I see the experience of the Christian life described in the pages of the New Testament or in the Psalms, 
it doesn't resonate with my experience. That's not the way I experience. For me, the Christian faith is, is, is sort of an intellectual thing. It's, it is ideas that I have come to believe, and I accept them, and I believe them, and I live out those ideas. I, live by, I try to obey God's law. I try to believe God's truth. But, I, but if I'm honest, what Paul talks about, what the apostles talk about, is not my experience. Those descriptions are not what I'm I'm experiencing. And so I'm simply bringing that to our attention today. I've done it before, but I want to do it again because it was really pressed on me this week by some things that took place. I want to bring this before you again for you to consider this and to ponder this, and I want to take us to um, uh, the Song of Songs uh, for, this, for this study. Um, uh, what I would say is that what many people will say, in my own life, I should, I should say I've experienced both, both things. I've, ex- I've experienced the times that were very dry. It was mostly just intellectual. I was mostly just plugging away, doing the best I could do, but, it was, but I was not, uh, it was not rich and deep for me. It was mostly just an intellectual exercise and me trying to grit my teeth and do the best I could do. My faith had been for periods of time reduced, it felt like almost to just information about God. I had information about God that I got from the Bible. But this is, some, this is an experience of Jesus Christ that Kuiper talks about, that many, I, I read this, this week about uh, Lloyd-Jones, who many, of you, who many of you probably know who that is, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he, he tells a story about he was in great despondence and he was in his room and he was just there and he'd been praying and praying and praying and then just in a moment. He put his, he, he just was, he was just reading, he actually wasn't reading the Bible, he was reading a sermon about the Bible, so God's truth. He was reading a sermon about the Bible, you know, talking about God's truth, and as he wasn't in a worship service, but there he was, he was looking at the page, he said, suddenly in a moment, the Lord's presence was known to me in a way that I can't explain to you and I can't describe to you, and, I, and, and, and everything that had been troubling me and bothering me was sort of washed away, and the, the wonder and the glory of God and his love and his glory, and his truth, and his presence. I think that's a reality, folks, and I think it's a reality maybe that some of us don't recognize that we're lacking. We maybe don't understand that we're lacking something which we're supposed to have. Not every day, not every hour, not every minute, but it is supposed to be a part of of the Christian life. I think Song of Songs helps us with this. Song of Songs is a collection of ancient poems it's not a, some people describe it as a, as a play almost, and I don't really think it's a play. I think it's just a collection of poems, um, a collection of love poems. They are very much in the style of Middle Eastern love poems from, from the time period, very much in the style, or Egyptian love poems that, that are, have similar metaphors, similar language to these, these love poems. And yet it's been given to us and put into the scriptures as something that we are to reflect upon and something that we are to take from. And it's a sad thing, but what's happened is, in modern times, Song of Songs has been used to, um, Song of Songs has been, has been reduced to only a love poem. This is a love poem. It's about, it's about earthly love, human love between a man and a woman. I just, you just need to understand that that is never the way the church took it until very, 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 very recently. Now, that's almost what anybody says. And you've got people over here who are conservative who will say, yes, it's teaching us how to have good marriages. So we should, we should read the Song of Songs if we want to know how to have a good marriage. And then, but they're still taking it just as a love poem. And they're conservative people who believe the, the Word of God is inspired. 
but they take it just as a love poem. But over here you have these radical uh, folks who don't think uh, that it's inspired at all, and they think it's just a love poem. And they just think it's just a love poem. It has nothing to do with God at all. Um, but I don't think either of these views are right. I think God put it in the scriptures and gave it to us for the same reason that teachers taught it. They taught it in ancient times as an analogy of the love between Jesus Christ and Christians and between his church. And that's what it was a picture of. It was a picture of the love between Christ and his church. So Christ, there's, a, there's a male speaker and there's a female speaker. The female speaker is Christians in the church. The male speaker is Christ speaking to his church or God. Um, and by the way, Jew, Jewish rabbis saw it this way as well. You know what the Jewish rabbis called the Song of Songs? The Holy of Holies. The most holy book in the Bible. Because they saw it as the book that was the, that was the most about uh, God's love for, for his people and love for uh, those who, who followed him. Um, but but through, in ancient times, medieval times, Reformation times, even several hundred years after the Reformation, that's the way it was taught. This is the way the Song of Songs was taught, but it's no longer taught that way. But I'm going to teach it the old way today um, and, and, and show you what I'm talking about here. Um, so, in the, in the Song of Songs, I wish the NIV didn't have the headings it had. I wish it had uh, man and woman, she and he, so it was clear the lover and beloved thing is, is very confusing to me. That's not part of the, the biblical text. But um, basically what you see here in, the, in this book is turn to page 2, verse 3. Beloved. NIV there says beloved, but that means this is the woman speaking. I'm going to look at a few. We can't look at a lot of the text of Song of Songs today, but we're going to look at a, a, quite a few. And today we're only going to look at texts spoken by the woman. So this is the church or Christians speaking to Christ. And it's metaphorical. It's metaphorical. It's, it's, it's romantic. It's sexual. It's, um, and yet this is, the, this is supposed to be a picture to us of the love between Jesus and, his, and Christians and how intimate and how powerful and how strong that love is. That's what we're supposed to be is being portrayed for us. Look at this. Chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree, the woman speaking to the man, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, the language of delight, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins. He strengthens me with his love. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head. There's that language, um, similar to the language uh, of the Psalms and also the language of, of Kuiper and that thing we just read. His, his, Christ's arm, his, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. His right arm embraces me. So this is a picture of love and a picture of embrace, a picture of time together between the two. Um, and it's an experiential picture. I think the reason we're given this kind of poetry and this poetry that is so sensuous, so about, uh, not only about romantic love, but just the imagery of all the scents and the, there's so many smells and tastes, so many fruit are in this book, so much sensation and all of that, is because we're trying, we're, we're trying to be told that the love between God and Christ and people is, 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 a, is a real thing. It's an experience. It's not just an idea that you were given that you put away in your head, this is true about God. It is a real experience of God. My first point this morning is that Christians can experience Jesus. 
Christians can experience Jesus, not just know truths about Jesus, but those truths become real in the heart by an experience of Christ, experience of Christ. One of the verses from the New Testament that's, that's alluded to all the time about this is, and you know, it's one of my favorite verses. I read it at least once a month, probably. Romans 5.5. 5. Augustine, Augustine could not stop quoting this verse. He loved this verse. And, and it's one of my favorites as well. The love of God has been poured out, or in the old King James, shed abroad. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. That, folks, is an experience. <laughs> what he's describing there is a deep and powerful experience of God, of Jesus Christ, and his love. We're not, I'm not going to go back and preach Ephesians 3 again, but go back and look at Ephesians 3 and look at the language of experience. And Paul says, I'm praying for you this experience, this knowledge, this deep experiential knowledge of Christ. This is what you need in order to get through this life and to, and to, and to, and to, and to go on. Um, the love of God has been, Romans 5, 5 again, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, has, who was given to us. And so, by the way, understand this experience of Jesus is, understand that this is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. This is what the Spirit does for us. As J.I. Packer used to say, the Holy Spirit's job is not for you to, he doesn't want you to look at him. He's shining a light on Jesus and saying, look at Christ, look at Christ. And he sh- his job is to show, he's in your heart, and his job is to show you Jesus and to, for you to experience Christ. Uh, by the way, this is a very misunderstood verse where I left off. Verse seven, um, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That, that is often taken in a moralistic type of way for people who teach this as a marriage and a marriage seminar or something about, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to get into what they might say, but, but the meaning of that is in the poetic image there. They're embracing, they're together embracing one another, and it's saying, don't bother us. I don't want this to end. I don't want this to be interrupted. I want this full time with with Christ. I want to be with God and be with Christ and experience what he has for me. And don't, don't awaken us. Don't, don't bother us. Don't disturb us. There's a disturb, there's no, there's a do not disturb sign on the door. Do not bother us. Do not disturb us. Do not interrupt us. I don't want this time to end because it it does eventually come to an end, but you, but, but it's such a glorious time. You want it to go on and you want it to, you want it to, uh, uh, to continue and, and, and that to, to continue to happen. Um, let me read a little bit further. Uh, listen, my, verse eight, listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, the woman speaking to the man, but this is a metaphor for a Christian, the church, saints speaking to Christ. Uh, my lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and he said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. That's, him, that's her quoting the man, what he's saying to her. And so this is the language of Christ to us. Um, and once again, this, 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 we're not going to read all the passages where... where uh, Christ speaks to the church, but we see this one here, and it's, you know, this is showing us Christ's love for us is real. Some of us 
are so hung up on the fact that we are sinners, we, we forget the fact that Christ uh, has chosen us, that, that, God, that God has chosen us, that Christ has died for us, that he is purifying us, and he, is, he knows, our, we talked about in Sunday school, he knows what he's doing in us. He's, he knows our future glory. And yes, he loves us. He is overjoyed with us. He delights in us. Um, this is Christ's attitude towards you. Um, he hates sin, but he's, help, he's helping you with that sin. He's redeeming you from that sin. He's purifying you from that sin. He's sanctifying you. He's at work in you. He is going to cleanse that away. You are his creation, and you are his that one that he has died for and redeemed for. And remember, the language of Revelation 3.20 is Jesus speaking to the church, Jesus speaking to Christians. And what does Jesus say to Christians? Here I am, to Christians, to the church. To Christians, he says, here I am. Christians who were in a time of, they'd, they'd wandered away from the Lord, but they were Christians, they were the church. And he says, here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Not in the language of romance there, but in the language of uh, two friends sitting down to eat together. Christ will come in and sit down with us and eat with us and we will have communion with him and relationship with him and love with him. So my first point this morning is that a Christian, um, a Christian can, experience, can experience Jesus. My second point is this, and they don't miss this. This is really important because if you miss this, you will misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. A Christian's experience of Jesus is not constant. This is what Kuiper said in the quote that he gave, and this is, this is the standard teaching. All Christians uh, go through periods of, of uh, when this is not happening, when, when it's a dry time, a time when they're not experiencing this. And even that, this way of experiencing this is something that is only, you know, at, at really high moments. And sometimes because of that, people will be like, oh, it's a mountaintop experience. That's not, that's not real. That's not something we should, we should care about. Baloney. If you knew it, if you knew what it was about, you would never stop thinking about it. <laughs> you would never stop saying, Lord, Today, be with me today, Lord. Show yourself to me. Show me your glory today. Show me your glory. It's real, brothers and sisters, and it's, and it's, it's something that can transform someone's life. Um, uh, line up. Go sit down. Park it. Sit down. Um, Christian's experience of Jesus is not constant, and you see this in chapter 3. Chapter 3. All night, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I did not find him. And this happens twice in the book. I'm only going to read one of them. But it gives this realistic note. This isn't where we live all the time. There are these moments where we feel the distance and feel the separation and feel like Christ is not there with us. We, can't, we, we don't have that closeness that we, that we have sometimes. Um, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I did not find him. And she's so frustrated by this that she gets up and goes outside. I'll get up now, and I'll go about the city. Though it's through its streets and squares, she's searching. This is all metaphor, but she's searching for the one her heart loves. She wants to be with him again. She wants to know him and experience his love again and be with him and his, have his presence there with her and know his affection and his embrace. That's what she wants. That's what she's craving. That's what she's longing for. She's searching the streets for him. I will get up now and I'll go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. And of course, at night in a city, the watchmen are doing their rounds. The watchmen are keeping watch. 
The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They came upon her. She really shouldn't have been outside probably at this time, but she's, she's there. Um, and I said to them, have you seen the one my heart loves? Have you seen my husband? Have you seen my man? But then, positive note again, it brings around a positive. Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I found him again. Once again, we were, we were connected again, and I experienced his love again. And I held him, and I would not let him go till I'd brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. And then we get this phrase again. This phrase is repeated three times in the Song of Songs. I'll only read it twice, but here's the, here it is again. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field, do not bother us. Do not interrupt our time. Do not arouse and arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do not bother us when we are together. Leave us alone. And my, my second point was a Christian's experience of Jesus is not constant. And my third point is quite simply, and I need to wrap up, Christians should seek the experience of Jesus. Christians should seek the experience of Jesus. Let me read another two passages and close. 7 verse 10. I belong, 710, have you found it? 710. She says, the Christian says of Christ, I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. I belong to him, his desire is for me. Come, my lover, let's go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded. Let's go and have this trip together and, and spend time together. If their blossoms have, have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. There I will give you my love. Christians should seek the experience of Jesus. Now, it's already been 20 minutes, and so I just want to say um, I wanted to make a short sermon today because I wanted to not get lost in extraneous details. It was a very simple point, and I hope that, that you have heard it. Um, I hope that you have heard it. Um, a, a Christian can experience Jesus. A Christian's experience of Jesus is not constant, but a Christian should seek the experience of Jesus. And how do you experience, how do you seek it? Of course, we're given all the means of grace, the worship service and the Bible and all those things, but, but primarily this has to be something that you are praying about, something that you desire, something that's on your heart. A person who doesn't pray for this, um, let, let me tell you just on my own personal testimony, a few years ago when we were studying Ephesians 3, I actually began to pray Ephesians 3. Imagine that. Actually, imagine actually praying a prayer that's in the Bible. And guess what? God actually answered that prayer. He actually answered the prayer. He didn't, I didn't pray it, and as soon as it left my mouth, bam it happened right then. But I began to pray it every day. I began to pray it without ceasing, incessantly. Am I still praying it? Not until this week I'd let off again. I'd let off again, and I'd fallen back into some kind of arid, dry intellectualism only again. But this is, but this is something that is um, to be prayed for and to be prayed for incessantly and prayed for without ceasing. And not only that, you've got to give Jesus your attention. Does he have your attention? Are you giving him attention every day? How can you uh, experience the love of one who you're not giving his attention for. I read this week about the story of Alexander White, who was in his, he was a Presbyterian minister in Scotland. His heart was downcast. He was going through such a bleak time in his life, and he just went out, and he just took his walking stick, and he went out in the mountains in Scotland. He just went walking, and he said, I'm just 
And he's just praying, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, help me. Lord, I need to see you. I need, I need more of you. I'm, I'm dying inside. I'm so dead. How can I continue my ministry? Walking, walking, walking. He walked for hours, and he said he was just walking and walking, and he lifted his head, and he saw a mountain. And as he saw the mountain, wasn't, it had, it had, it, 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 he wasn't reading the Word of God, but it, this wasn't apart from the Word of God. This was Alexander White, a man soaked in the Scriptures. The Scriptures poured into him the truth of God's Word. What the Word of God teaches is what was in his heart and mind, and his heart burst into flame, and he knew the reality of God and the reality of Christ again and experienced God's presence and love and power and truth. Um, and there are so many stories like this, so many countless stories about this. As, um, and these were men who are already Christians and women who are already Christians that I'm talking about. Give Jesus your attention. And that means in the, with the saints here in a place like this, in a prayer meeting, in a worship service, and it also means alone, give Christ your attention and pray for this. Let me close by reading three things. Colossians 3, 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Put your attention, your heart, your mind on Jesus Christ. He's at the right hand of the Father. Put your attention on him. Pray for his, the work of the Holy Spirit within to shed abroad the love of God, this experience of Jesus Christ in your heart. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. And then the most, the, sort of the high point of the Song of Songs is chapter 8, verse 6. Listen to what it says. So beautiful. What a beautiful two verses. Go back and reflect on these two verses, not about romantic love, not about romantic love, eight verses six and seven, but about Jesus' love for you. Listen to this, as it, that this is Christ's love, God's love for you. The woman says to the man, the Christian says to Jesus, place me like a seal over your heart that you belong to me, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy, its longing, its ardor is unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash love away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. What does that mean? It means if someone came to you and said, for the love that you have of God, the love that Jesus has for you, I will give you all of this money, all of this property. You'd be like, are you kidding me? Are you joking with me? Give me a break, scorned. Like, it's ridiculous. I don't want any of your garbage. I have Christ. You can't give me anything for Christ and his love. I have. He loves me, and he is with me, and he has poured out his love on me. Do you know it, brothers and sisters? Do you know the love of Christ? Is it an idea or do you know it? 